you going? No, man, you got the right classroom. Come on in, take a seat beside me, my friend. Hey, look, here come T.A. Charlie. Let's see what he got to say. Morning, you're watching The Road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic. Homeroom is on Rumble. You just go to Rumble and you search the channels for The Road to Concord. It's one word. When you find it, you go ahead and you click follow. It might mean you got to set up an account, but that's fast and easy and it's free. I did it. You can do it. For those technologically challenged members of the class, you can also catch us on Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter, and sometimes on YouTube. <clears throat> that ain't going to be today. Uh, no. Mostly that's just Wednesday. And you can catch the podcast after the show. It's uploaded to Podbean, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Just look for The Road to Concord. You can go to the blog page. That's roadtoconcord.com. That's where you find all your show notes, study notes, and handouts for the class. Finally, you can email a professor at joe at roadtoconcord.com. He's a little slow, but he'll eventually get back to emailing you. Uh, phones are on today, 229-469-0335, but only for registered numbers. We only accept calls from regular known listeners. If you wish to call in, you must be a known class member that has participated in the chats on a regular basis. You can then request a, a phone access through an email. <clears throat> Charlie's dying today. Yeah, I'm dying today. If you find our classes helpful, please click the thumbs up, like, subscribe, and share it with those you think could benefit from it. Warn them. Warn them, please. Joe <laughs> is an acquired taste, and <clears throat> he's on unleavened donuts today. This show is listener-sponsored, meaning we do not solicit business advertising, so we are not limited in the content we provide for y'all. With that said, we ask for your participation on a value-for-value -value basis. If you find our show of value to you, then you provide an equivalent portion of your labor and treasure through the donut link on the Road to Concord blog page, the show description on Rumble, and the comments in the other streams. Hey, we all know T.A. Charlie isn't all there. Now, just stay seated and give it a chance. You soon realize we not might be the smartest, but we each independently form opinions based on reason and logic. We're free thinkers. Let's see what the road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic has on the lesson plan for today. So Gummy Bear, that's Charlie's BB, his wife. She sent me a plate of uh, maple frosted, maple sugar frosted cookies, unleavened donuts. Oh my gosh. I must be pre-diabetic because I had one of them and now I'm just ready to go to sleep. Thought maybe I was going into diabetic coma, but then I realized something. This is Gummy Bear that made these. She probably put that magic sleeping potion in there that the witch used on Snow White because she's been trying to do me in now for a while. So I got a feeling I might have succumbed. She baited me properly. Sugary stuff. Baked goods. Yeah, I'm going to eat that poison whether I know it's there or not. I don't care. Gotta, gotta have the baked goods. Yum, yum, yum. So... Yes, ma'am. It's not that complicated. She probably just put cyanide in there. <laughs> uh, all right. So I told you today we were going to talk about fascism. And so we are. So let's just get right on into it today. Fascism explained. Sort of, kind of. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, we all know who this dude here with the bad haircut and mustache is, but that big old fat hammer knocker in the background there, that's Benito Mussolini. 
You'll get to meet him in a minute. Fascism. What is it? Well, this is one of those words that has been used so widely as to have all but lost its original meaning. So let's try to put a little meaning back into it. First things first, characteristics of a fascist nation or government or whatever. Socially, we'll start up here on the right. It's supported by the middle class, industrialists and the military. Hmm. Chief examples are Italy, Spain, and Germany. The basic principles, it's authoritarianism. The state is more important than the individual. You have a charismatic leader, and it's action-oriented. This is starting to sound a little familiar. Politically, it's nationalist in nature, you know, borders, whatever. It's racist in some way, shape, or form, or at least Nazism was. Um, so was Italy, just in a different way. One-party rule, and there's a supreme leader, can be an oligarch, too. It doesn't have to be a single individual. The economy, economics function is controlled by state corporations or state. Hmm. Culturally, lots of censorship, lots of indoctrination, lots of secret police. This sounds a little bit familiar to me. I don't know where I might have seen an example of this recently close to home. Do you? Can I be? Let me see here. Authoritarian. Yeah, yeah, and to do what the government says. State's more important than, yeah, charismatic leader. It, it, action or, yeah, 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 okay, all right. The rise of uh, European fascism. Actually, this is not the first place we find fascism in the world. Benito Mussolini got it from Woodrow freaking Wilson. But we'll get to that. You're too fast. Yes, I know. So what happened is uh, politically you had uh, deadlock and paralysis, years of deadlock. You know, we call it gridlock. And then the left's refusal to compromise caused polarization. Has that happened in this country? Uh, I think it has. Okay. Then you had the military and the police refusal to defend a government. Hmm. I don't know exactly if it's apples to apples here. Let's keep going. Sympathy with fascists, collusion with the quadristi or whatever, squadristi, whatever. Um, contempt for incompetent government. We've kind of got that. The problem is we've reversed it. We don't defend proper government. And we do have sympathy with the squadristi, that's black shirts and brown shirts. We call them BLM and Antifa. And we do have contempt for incompetent government, only because we've reversed things here, since we're living in Isaiah 5, 2021 world. Those who are trying to keep to the, uh, to the Constitution, those are, we've got contempt for them. We have contempt for competent, not incompetent. So we've kind of got this in a parallel sense. Economically, we have insecurity and desperation. Yeah, we've kind of got that in our country. We have strikes, disorder, and crime. Oh, yeah, yeah, we've got that. And recession. Yeah, we've got that. Also massive inflation as well. And then ideologically, a desire for a transcendent, a new path. You know, build back better. New world order. Okay, we've got that. Feeling of humiliation and victimization. 
I don't know so much about humiliation, but we've got victimization running rampant in this country. Failure of liberal ideologies. That's classic liberal ideologies. The problem is they didn't fail. They were undermined. They were subverted. But all of this combined so that the fascists assumed power with broad popular support because it was a populist movement. It was speak to the emotions of the people. It was you need a charismatic leader, an Obama or a Trump. And yeah. the people would, yes, sir? Instead of humiliation, we have to cancel culture. Yes. So what would happen is the people would rally around whichever one of their favorite populists, whichever one comes out on top, becomes a de facto dictator. And we have had that now for a while. It started with Obama straight up openly because George W. Bush was not a charismatic leader. Bill Clinton was a little bit, but not like Obama and Trump are. We've decayed since those years. And what you get is these two guys. Now, we may not think they're very charismatic today in our culture, but in their culture, they definitely were. Now, Italy, I told you that Benito Mussolini was a racist of a sort. It wasn't so much racism according to skin color. It was more of an ethnicity uh, according to culture, which is really what Hitler was after as well. This is from a slideshow that you can find online about fascism if you look for it. It says, in Italy, Benito Mussolini hoped to make Italy an empire again. He believed that classic antiquity, the influence of classic era figures on modern Italy, Rome, was vital to Italy's expansion. From classic antiquity came the development of Romanicia or Romanus of the Italian people. As Italian fascism grew, so did the connection to Romanicia, which became a cult like belief of Mussolini. So they were trying to remake the Roman Empire? Yes, or at least the glory day of yeah, Rome. Yeah. Hitler was trying to remake the Teutonic Knights of yesterday. You know, the Germanic um, ancient, you know, Prussia and Persia, um, not Persia, but Prussia and the Teutonic Knights and everything. He was going back in time too. It was, what this is, is it's romanticism. And now, let me, let me ask you, is anybody ever, when you study the progressives, have you ever gotten that notion of romanticism? You know, where they want to go back to the railroad cars. They're, they're talking about progress, but they always want to go backwards. Have you ever noticed that? Hmm. Progressives, fascists. We were told by Wilson that progressive, progressives, progress, progressive, that was the American word for communist. But they're sounding a lot like fascists, aren't they? Starting to, if you've been in this class for a while. You've, you should be catching on here. At some point today, we should start seeing fireflies going off in people's heads. Well, let's keep going. We have commonly, if you look for it, you're going to find 14 points of fascism. So powerful and continuing nationalism, disdain for human rights, identification of enemies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is taken from a poster on display at the Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington, D.C. Why did I just flip through that? we're going to take each one of them individually this comes from an online post called the 14 characteristics of fascism by dorset i it was written on 9 may 2020 it's copyright 2003 free inquiry magazine reprinted for fair use only so i'm assuming that since we're an educational show 
and we intend to fall under fair use, I'm assuming that that copyright is going to allow us to use this today. If not, please let me know and I'll pull the show or at least this portion of it. But I'm pretty sure that we've got that law interpreted properly. One, powerful and continuing nationalism. Fascist regimes tend to make a constant use of patriotic patriotic mottos, slogans, symbols, songs, and other paraphernalia. Flags are seen everywhere, as are flag symbols on clothing and in public displays. Now, when we think of nationalism, we think in terms of the boundaries of a country. We've done away with the borders of our country. So on the surface it would appear that this country is not fascist in this way, correct? But now if we look at the concept of nationalism, nationalism just means you belong to one people, one cultural or or people's group. And biblically, you know how this works around here, folks. Spiritually, a nation is put under one spiritual leader. Seventy nations in the Tower of Babel split up in Genesis 10 and 11, 70 sons of the council, sons of Yahweh in the, in the divine council, so one son to each nation. So notice this, it says flags are seen everywhere. Flags are symbols. Antifa's everywhere, BLM's everywhere, the LBGT flag is everywhere. We've got flags everywhere, but those are symbols to spiritual leadership. So you might actually have a nationalistic country in this country, it's just a spiritual nation. And even if we're not going to look at it that way, communists are not nationalistic. They believe in gloat. Wait a minute. What if I just looked at the earth as one nation? They're nationalistic. They just want everybody in their nation. They, they just got a bigger appetite than a fascist does. A fascist is content with just his nation. So in reality, conceptually, there's really not as much of a difference here as people might think. If all you're doing is looking at the words, you're going to miss the concept. It's just that the communist has a bigger appetite than the fascist does. So a fascist country also has disdain for recognition of human rights. Because of fear of enemies and the need for security, the people in a fascist regimes are persuaded that human rights can be ignored in certain cases because of need. The people tend to look the other way or even approve of torture, summary executions, assassinations, long incarcerations of prisoners, et cetera, et cetera. What did we see yesterday? Full one-third of all Democrats are okay with squelching the Bill of Rights because we have too much freedom? That's a disdain for human rights, and our government certainly has it. January 6th, the people they arrested according to the so-called subversion or whatever, sedition, they have totally violated the Constitution for those prisoners. And that's government run. So, yeah, folks, we, we've pretty much got this disdain for human rights. We don't like to look at it that way. But that's because, you know, it's not fascism when we do it. Number three, identification of enemies, scapegoats as a unifying cause. The people are rallied into a unifying patriotic frenzy over the need to eliminate a perceived common threat or foe. Racial, ethnic, or religious minorities, liberals, communists, socialists, terrorists, etc. We've got a whole, to use BB's favorite word, whoops, I screwed that up. We've got a whole plethora of common enemies. We've got white folks 
in slavery. That's one. We've got uh, domestic terrorists, which basically we define as conservatives or anybody who believes in the Bible. Um, what else do we have? Oh yeah, we got uh, Islamophobists, homophobists. I mean, we got a we got a plethora of them. What we got to do is start looking. And uh, we've got uh, Republicans are defined by the government as enemies. So we've got lots of these, and the people are okay with doing all sorts of draconian things to them. We've we've got people calling for outlaw right up to death. You know, we're just going to get rid of all white people. We've played that video on here. So yeah, we've 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 got this. We're so far so good. We're pretty much paralleling a fascist nation. Supremacy of the military. Even when there are widespread domestic problems, the military is given a disproportionate amount of government funding and the domestic agenda is neglected. Soldiers and military service are glamorized. Like it or not, folks, we got that one in spades. Check, 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 and check. Rampant sexism. The government of fascist nations tend to be almost exclusively male-dominated. Under fascist regimes, traditional gender roles are made more rigid. Opposition to abortion is high, as is homophobia and anti-gay legislation and natural policy. Well, we don't have that one, do we? Kind of have the reverse of that. Wait a minute. If you have the reverse of that, isn't that sexism just for females? Oh, my God. We have feminism which is sexism in the opposite direction. So maybe we do have this. It's just we were thinking it had to be vanilla-flavored ice cream when actually it's strawberry. Hmm, okay. Six, controlled mass media. Sometimes to media, um, to media is directly controlled by the government. Uh, I think they mean the media is directly controlled, but in other cases, the media is indirectly controlled by government regulations or sympathetic media spokespeople and executives. Censorship, especially in wartime, is very common. We've got this one in spades. Operation Mockingbird. Number seven, obsession with national security. Fear is used as a motivational tool by the government over the masses. Uh, Patriot Act, anybody? The Protect Act, anybody? COVID, anybody? Oh, yeah. National security and fear. Yeah, crisis. Oh, we've got all of this, man. We got that coming in spades. Number eight, religion and government are intertwined. Governments in fascist nations tend to use the most common religion in the nation as a tool to manipulate public opinion. Religious rhetoric and terminology is common from government leaders, even when the major tenets of the religion are diametrically opposed to the government's policies or actions. Well, that's what Woodrow Wilson started out doing, and FDR did it, and most of the progressives in this country did it up until about mm, 70s and 80s. Since that time, we've had a switch in our religious sentiments in this country, and now we push this religion of science, the holy science, and our politicians speak in terms of that religion. It's not a religion, Joe. You look at the concept of the definition of religion lately? Yes, it is. So, yeah, we pretty much have this. And we also have the government telling other religions what they can. All right. Corporate power is protected. 
That's number nine. The industrial and business aristocracy of a fascist nation often are the ones who put the government leaders into power, creating a mutually beneficial business government relationship and power elite. Oh, we've got that. We've got that. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Labor power is suppressed, number 10, because the organizing power of labor is the only real threat to a fascist government. Labor unions are either eliminated entirely or severely suppressed. So we don't have that one, Joe, don't we? The labor unions weren't eliminated or suppressed. They were co-opted, taken over, and put under the control of one party. Did not our president overrule the labor, labor union? union? Yeah, when he destroyed the, the rail strike. And with the cars, the, he over you, he overruled the laws to protect the labor unions in the auto industry. But that was because what's going on here is these labor unions are actually an extension of the Democratic Party. They're fundraising devices. Oh, that's true. And they're means of controlling the populace. If you don't get the union approval, you don't get to work. So the labor union has actually been incorporated as part of the organization. You see, what you got to look at is the concept. When you suppress the union, you suppress the people's ability to, to uh, organize, right? But what if I just co-opt the union and take it over with my party apparatus? Right. Then I've done the same thing, just in a yeah, different way. Just in a different way, yep. When I make it look like, it appears like you can still organize, but you can't. Not without me controlling it. That's what party politics does too, folks. So number 11, disdain for intellectuals in the arts. Fascist nations tend to promote and tolerate open hostility to higher education and academia. It is not uncommon for professors and other academics to be censored or even arrested. Free expression in the arts is openly attacked and governments often refuse to fund the arts. Say, so, well, we don't have that, Joe. Yes, you do. Go be, some, go, go be a uh, conservative or an anti-woke professor in one of our universities nowadays. You'll get canceled and or fired. So, yeah, that's the same thing as arresting you. You've been removed from academia. And there's one voice speaking in academia. And it's not an intelligent voice. It's actually drones. This is exactly what Woodrow Wilson and, and John Dewey said they were going to do, is take over the education system in this country and use it to indoctrinate people. Well, you can't use the education system for indoctrination if you allow free thinking within their, the, the teachers. Remember, Dewey said he's going to use the teacher as a prophet. Well, the professor as a prophet. They have a disdain for intellectuals. Is Thomas Sowell highly regarded in this country by the left? No. He's an intellectual, one of the most brilliant minds of our, our time, and he's black. And he's called an Uncle Tom and poo-pooed and dismissed. Why? Because the left has disdain for actual intellectuals, real intellectuals. So, yeah, we've got this, too. It's just not in the way you think of it, not in the way it's been listed. It's easy to miss. Don't forget, the people doing all of this have spent decades looking back on the first part of the 20th century, studying what they did wrong. And then they looked at the 60s and they studied what they did wrong there. They have told us this. Van Jones told us this. Hillary told us this. Obama told us this. Michelle Obama told us this. Bill Ayers told us this. They've studied what they did wrong. They're fixing their mistakes. Nothing different. Just different flavors or different disguises. Number 12, 
is an obsession with crime and punishment. Under fascist regimes, the police are given almost limitless power to enforce laws. The people are often willing to overlook police abuse and even forego civil liberties in the name of patriotism. There is often a national police force with virtually unlimited power in fascist nations. Well, we don't have that, Joe. Oh, yes, you do. FBI, anyone? ATF, anyone? DHS, DOJ, IRS. They have given arrest authority to almost all government agencies, and they've armed every one of them. Even the Department of Education. Yes. Your social services can arrest you and even take your children. That's an obsession with crime and punishment. And when they don't have enough crime, they just elect DAs that turn you loose as soon as you're arrested to create more crime, which gives you a reason for more crackdowns. That Yes, we've got this, folks. We've got this rampant in this country. Number 13, rampant cronyism and corruption. Fascist regimes almost always are governed by groups of friends and associates who appoint each other to government positions and use government power and authority to protect their friends from accountability. It is not uncommon in fascist regimes for national resources and even treasures to be appropriated or even outright stolen by governmental leaders. We have this right down to our local politics. Everywhere. This is at all levels of government in the United States. You want a a blatant example of this. Why? Why didn't Hillary get arrested for the uh, Steele dossier? Why hasn't Hunter Biden and Joe Biden been arrested? That's cronyism within the DOJ. That's what this is just the good old boy system, folks. That's all this is. We got it everywhere. Check. Got that too. Finally, finally, fraudulent elections. Sometimes elections in fascist nations are complete sham. Other times, elections are manipulated by spear campaigns against or even assassinations of opposition candidates, use of legislation to control voting numbers or political district boundaries, and manipulation of the media. Fascist nations are typically use their judiciaries to manipulate and control the elections. Uh, we don't have any of this. Checkamundo. We got all of that. So let me ask you, you know, because I want to kill people when I inquire of them. How is it we're not a fascist nation again? Exactly. If form and function define, how is it that this definition doesn't apply to us? I'm missing something, I guess. I don't get it. Form and function define, we seem to fit the form. Our government and our society functions like a fascist. Hmm. Anyway, back to our boy Benito. He said fascism should more appropriately be called corporatism because it is a merger of state and corporate power, Benito Mussolini. What did he mean by that? Basically meant that the economy and the state should be looked at as a body, as a living organism. Now, where have we heard that thinking before? Public-private partnership. Oh, no, even before that. Even before that. Say it with me, boys and girls. Woodrow freaking Wilson. Y'all remember when we read that? where he said that this, the United States should be looked at as more of a body because it's all integrated. And so how we got to run everything as though it's a, a healthy organism, a body. Instead of looking at it as natural law, we've got to look at it more to biology. That's exactly what old Benito was telling us here. But Charlie was right. We'll get to that in a minute. In reality, Roosevelt and Wilson invented the system. 
fascism. Mussolini was just the man who coined the term. That book right there is invaluable if you want to understand what I'm talking about here. This is by Judge Andrew Napolitano, who himself has very fascist progressive leanings and doesn't realize it, but still, he does a very good job in this book, probably because it was a ghostwriter. Theodore and Woodrow, How Two American Presidents Destroyed Constitutional Freedoms. Yeah, I know if you're a fan of Theodore Roosevelt, sorry guys, but he was a fascist. And he might have actually been the first fascist president, but for darn sure, Woodrow Wilson was. And this is fascism, a merger of state and corporate power by Mussolini, right? Which is also known as public-private partnership. Hmm. What could possibly go wrong there? I mean, it's always, hey, look, this is just glowing. It's great. Key benefits of a public-private partnership. Consume less time and improve monitoring. That's because you don't have any laws governing you anymore. Promotes infrastructure development and local development. That's because you're artificially manufacturing a job for your corporate cronies to do. Increase technical and technological cooperation. R really? That's because the government holds all in, you know invention mandates and, and patents and just shares them with everybody. This is, folks, this is right out of Atlas Shrugged. It doesn't work well in the story. And the story of Atlas Shrugged is just the story of what happens to every nation that travels down the road of socialism. It provides elastic services, reducing service costs. Yeah, 180-degree um, rule is in play here, folks. Building cooperative growth through private sector integration. Folks, if you're one of these leftist wackos who thinks that you actually mean something by using these catchy little phrases, please. I know that they work well in, in the woke industry, but this stuff doesn't mean jack. This is jingoism. It also is risk sharing with private partners. In other words, the government doesn't want to get blamed for things that go wrong. I can blame it on the private corporation, which isn't going to suffer any loss because it's a government contract. Help to lessen public sector budget constraints. <laughs> how does that <laughs> yeah okay right it promotes innovative innovation and create 180 degree rule it, 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 this is bull hockey that's what this is but you know then you got these things called non-government organizations that's public-private partnership, folks. And look how great it is. We've got helping hands of all colors. NGOs are awesome, right? Oh, that looks an awful lot like the UN. What? NGOs and the UN? Yeah. NGOs are just another way of saying the United Nations has gotten its camel nose under your country's tent. This is how... NGOs and public-private partnership really works. This is your flowchart. The public sector authority. So you have a direct agreement with the private sector. Let me show you how that worked. I'm going to end capitalism to save capitalism. So all you insurance industries, you're going to do exactly what I tell you to do. You're going to take out this loan whether you need it or not so that I can then govern you. Well, yeah, that worked for Bush. Hey, you auto industries, you're going to give up 30% of your value so I can give it back to the unions because the unions mismanaged and destroyed themselves and I don't want them to collapse because they're too big to fail. So I'm going to steal the company from your stockholders. And that's exactly how that worked. And the auto industry had to yes, sir. That, that's what this is. So that's an agreement. One side dictates, the other says, yes, sir. 
So from the director agreement, you go to banks and special purpose companies, and which are also NGOs, and you have investors, equity. These are your these are your progressive buddies who need a place to put their money because they don't know how to actually work in a free free market society, and they don't want to become poor. So they invest in these things, knowing that their par- partner friends up there in the public security authority will make sure that they don't lose their money. So long as the investors keep giving money to the public sector authority as well. This is all graft. This is total corruption here. So from the special purpose companies, you get construction companies and operating and maintenance companies. In other words, we have unionized the entire country through NGOs and public-private partnership. That's called fascism. You've just given it a different name. Now, here's something most people don't realize about Mr. Hitler. Hitler's American model, the United States and the making of the Nazi race laws. He got it from, say it with me, boys and girls, Woodrow freaking Wilson. Came from the Wilson administration. And it was all in the name of the holy science. Science of eugenics. And it even governed their lawmaking. Because, of course, you know, the Teutonic Knights were superior to everybody else. You also had this. These are books that I own. These are on my shelves. Hitler's professors. What? You mean he had the support of the academia and the high schools and the middle schools and the elementary schools and, you know, the youth movement and all that. Oh, yeah, just like we have in the country today. You know, we've got the kids lined up singing praise songs to Obama. Y'all remember that video? That That's what this is. Same thing. And then on the right, Hitler's beneficiaries, plunder, racial war, and the Nazi welfare state. Welfare state? Yeah, you didn't know that? Nazis aren't socialists, Joe. What do you think Nazi means? National Workers Socialist Party. Yes, they are socialists per their own admission. Fascists are socialists. Always. Our book on the right is about Hitler's corporations that worked for him. That's public-private partnership. Also with the people. You know, that's all that welfare is. That's a public-private partnership. You support me, I'll give you somebody else's money. And then the media. Well, Joseph Goebbels said, we have made the Reich, Reich, as I was taught to say it, by propaganda. Well, the government can't make it by propaganda if it doesn't control the media, which it did. So what else did they control? They controlled the religion and science, you know, the holy science and religion and the racial laws and all of that. They controlled the education department. They controlled businesses and the people, and they controlled the media. Tell me again, real quick, what does the American left not control in this country right now? Do they control the laws? Yeah, pretty much. Do they control the science? Yeah, yeah. Do they control education? Yes. Do they control welfare? Yep. Do they control corporate America? Yep. Do they control the media? Yep. How is it that they're not fascist? Well, they're borderless, Joe. They're communists. (laughs) 
you keep hanging on to that. I'm going to pop that bubble in just a little bit. We'll get to it. Don't worry. Now, here's a cool thing about fascism. Fascists cannot install fascism by themselves. There's too few of them. Only by the people that acquiesce to the fascism. So you know what that picture is right there? That's a picture of the guy who refused to wear the mask and get jabbed. He's the one in the black and white. The rest of them, those are the baz, the sheeple, that went right along with the fascists and did what they said. And you know what's going to happen when the fascists lock us down again? The baz are going to go, this is bad, this is evil, this is tyranny, this is fascism, while they're putting on their masks and lining up to get jabbed. Because they're baz. You can't have fascism unless the people go for it. Why do the people fall for it? Because they never, ever want to deal with the person in their mirror. They always want to blame somebody else. That's the beauty of fascism. It's victimhood teaching. And it's hard, Joe. Yeah, it's hard, right? It's hard to be the guy in black and white, right? Yeah, somebody somebody might see me. Exactly, because it doesn't look like he's exerting much energy. He's just got his arms folded sitting there looking at him. So screw you people. Yeah, that's what it is. These are two of the symbols of fascism. On the left, it's called a fascine. Each individual stick bundled together makes a stronger stick. That's community organizing. That's exactly what Mussolini called it. The Arctic tortoise, woof, woof, woof. <laughs> and then they, when you collect all your community organizings and you put them in a, in a common um, agenda, political agenda direction, that's what puts the sword in there. That's that's. That's the hacks, the, the power, the weapon of fascism. And then on the right is the eagle. Now be careful. That eagle goes all the way back to Babylonian and Egyptian times. It doesn't always mean bad things. Yahweh is shown as an eagle in the Bible from time to time. Remember that Satan is an imitator. He will often grab a hold of a good symbol and turn it to his own desires. Babylon is also represented by a lion. Who's Yeshua? He's the lion of Judah, right? So context, context, context is everything. But in this case, mind you, that fascine, the, the bundled sticks, that is always a negative connotation. Anybody see anything in that picture that might worry them? That's the speaker's podium in the House of Representatives of the United States of America. Those are the fascist fascines there on either side of the speaker's seat. Yes, that's exactly what that is. That's a symbol of fascism in the United States. And it connects, the, you know, the, the olive wreath? That connects us back to Greek thinking. That doesn't mend very well with the lawgiver Moses who's on the front door center on front and center on the front door of the Supreme court, but okay, whatever. <sighs> Time to blow this up. Let's see what we have here. Woodrow Wilson had legislative control over the U S economy, took over and controlled telephones, telegraphs, and news outlets censored the press restricted free speech, including making it illegal to criticize him, the government, the military, and his policies, even in your own home. 
violently suppressed protesters, dissenters, and labor unions. He did as much, if not more, violence towards civil liberties in three years than Mussolini did in his first 12. Established a quasi-private police state agency called the American Protective League, which spied and conducted tons of arbitrary arrests. He arrested and jailed more dissidents in a couple of years than Mussolini did in the entire 1920s. Yeah, Will Joe Wilson put hundreds of thousands of Americans in jail. He established what was basically the first official propaganda ministry called the Committee on Public Information. Claimed to do all this just during war effort, but this was not necessarily the case. He wanted to keep these policies intact even after the war and didn't want to release political prisoners at all either. Benito Mussolini, later uh, the fascist dictator of Italy, openly admitted to adopting some of his policies to fascism from that, from Woodrow Wilson. Say it with me, boys and girls. Woodrow, Woodrow freaking, freaking Wilson. Wilson. But of course, if you're doing it, it's not fascism. In the little Democratic Party right there. It's not fascism when you do it. And oh, GOP? We could put you on here, too. It's not fascism when you do it. This is anti-fascista action on the left. A fascist action on the right. The one on the left is an actual picture of Antifa in the 1930s. On the left is the flag of the paramilitary wing of the German Communist Party in 1933. They were fighting with the National Socialist Workers' Party, the Nazis, for control of Germany. On the right is the flag of Antifa, anti-fascist movement in america notice the similarity today hennepin county in minneapolis minnesota allowed the antifa flag to be raised over city hall in place of the hennepin county flag as a gesture of solidarity with the folks in charlottesville the government officials of hennepin county should be immediately fired yes they should have been but what this is that's the democrats on the left and the republicans on the right in this case the right being the nazis Yes, the Democrats want to be communists. The Republicans want to be Nazis. Well, see, Joe, that means the Democrats can't be fascists. Hold on, I told you I'd get to that. Why do I say this? Because, remember, the right is always for big business. Well, that's just public-private partnership. But the left is for total socialism. That's communism as it's applied in the real world, because you can't possibly have what Marx explained. So what you have here is the same battle going on in this country that went on in Nazi Germany. And you would think the communists are winning, right? But they're not, because they're adopting the public-private partnership. But wait a minute, they've made us a borderless society. That's communism. Yeah, like I said, hold on to that. We'll get to it. Fascists on the left, anti-fascists on the right, you know, communists on the right. Both of these groups hate people on the basis of skin color and class, hate freedom of speech, initiate violence against those who disagree with them, want to cleanse the world of diversity and thought, and don't be fooled into violence. They are two halves of the same coin. So don't side with either one of them. This would be Republicans on the left in this picture, Democrats on the right. I know, you don't think so. Well, that's because it's not this when you do it. I understand. I get it. The fundamental theory of socialism and democracy are almost, if not quite one in the same. They both rest upon the absolute right of the community to determine its own destiny and that of its members. 
limits of wisdom and convenience to the public control, there may be limits of principle of things government can and cannot do. Upon strict analysis, there are none. Socialism and Democracy, August 22, 1887. Say it with me now. Woodrow, Woodrow So socialism and democracy, which, which, which party pushes democracy, democracy, democracy? The Democrats, right? The socialists. So they're either communists or Nazis. But which party pushed democracy in its debates this year? The Republicans. So they're either fascists or communists. Well, we're going to have to blow this one up. Pull me out of there. Communism. Production is organized to provide for the human needs without the use of money. Well, that's Marx's idea. In fascism, government directed private enterprise against international finance markets. That's pretty much what we have today. On the left, communism rejected and abolished all religion. On the right, against work and labor unions forming. That's fascism. Fascism works within the religion. Fascism is a, a civic religion where the state is the religion. Well, we've already got that in this country. On the left, the communist classless society in which people share in the production of goods and services, less hierarchy. That's not possible. That doesn't work. This is on the left with communism. This is Marxism. Communi uh, communism believed no government involvement was better. That's anarchy. That doesn't work. In, in real life, what happens is you have the Politburo. You, you have a class society. Us and them. The haves and the have-nots. The betters and the lessers. You only have two classes under communism as it's been done today. The 20th century communism believed that a great deal of government involvement was needed to create a better society. See, so it switched. Public property ownership was allowed and private property was rejected. Collective output should be redistributed equally. This is under communism. Key supporters, Karl Marx, Vladimir Lenin, Leon Trotsky. Political movement, Leninism, Trotskyism, Marxist-Leninism, Stalinism. State is government in the interests of the people. Equality between genders and all people. Collective vote or state ruler. Uh, make economic and political decisions for the state. Communists in one country feel as though they are a solidarity with communists in other countries. That makes it a nation. Don't trust nationalistic nations and leaders. Why? That's because if you have different nations, you don't have solidarity. In other words, different nations are not communist nation. So I told you that we're not all that far apart. One's just got a bigger appetite than the other. Back to fascism. Fascism is a civic religion. Citizens are required to worship the state through nationalism. Well, not necessarily nationalism anymore. Other things. Only allow religions that are nationalistically or historically tied to the state. Example, Iron Guard in Romania. Romanianism or Romian. Today, you've got to be woke. If you're not politically correct, you're outside the state's religion. You have one leader that has complete control and authority. This, or it'll work too with an oligarchy, but the state is governed in the interest and beliefs of the leader and are followed and agreed with his doings. Whoever controls the Democratic Party actually controls this country right now. Private property ownership was allowed and often uh, enforced. 
uh, only as long as you did what the government tells you to do. Key supporters, Adolf Hitler, Benito Mussolini, also, uh, was it, uh, can't remember his name right now in Spain, Fra Franco. Or you also have strict class structure was believed to necessarily to prevent chaos. Fascists in Italy and all distinctions were eliminated in Germany. What? All class distinctions were eliminated in Germany? That's communism, isn't it? Nazism believes in a superior race. Italian fascism did not. Actually, they believed in Romania, a superior culture. Political movement, national socialism, Nazism, Strassism, national Bolshevism. Individual is considered meaningless. Do not believe in international law. What they supposedly share in common, a one-party system. We have that today. Collective is more important than the individual. We have that today. Promote revolutionary change or gradual change. We have that today. Rejection of the free market society. We have that today. Government control is necessary. We've got that today. No individual rights favors collected rights. We've got that today. We call it social justice. Use of violence and dictatorial techniques. We've got that. Military, war, secret police, propaganda, indoctrinating youth groups, controlled participation. We've got that. Controlled religion. We've got that. Planned economy. We've got that. It's called the green movement. Okay, we've got everything that's in common with them. Left, Democrats, right, Republicans, for the most part. I know Republicans would disagree, but the def left would disagree with that too. Problem is, I'm correct when I look at form and function. When I look at concept, I'm right. They're wrong. It's just all there is to it in this case. Leonard Red, Reed, he, he seemed to think so. He says, what actually is the difference between communism and fascism? Both are forms of statism, authoritarianism. They're also both socialist. The only difference between Stalin's communism and Mussolini's fascism is an insignificant detail in organizational structure. One of them was happy to control Italy. The other one wants the whole dang world. So he understands it. He's looking at form and function. Hmm. Fascism is one of those things that you can't really define. It's kind of like pornography. I can't tell you what it is until I see it. When I see it, I know it. Well, you've got a fascist country now. You live in one. We've pretty much been in one at some level or degree or another since Woodrow Wilson. Teddy Roosevelt started it for us. Wilson codified it. And we blame it on the Nazis and the Italians and the Spanish. It was us. We brought it to the world. We brought eugenics to the world. Would we blame that on the Nazis? You know, never, ever take, oh, wait a minute. What's that thing? Personal responsibility? That keeps coming up in our show a lot lately, doesn't it? We never, never accept personal responsibility. You have no duty to others. This is all just about you. What? Oh, yeah, yeah. We're going to talk about that in the next hour. Why would you want fascism over communism? Communism doesn't work. Communism is Jamestown. Fascism is Plymouth Rock. What? F no, that Plymouth Rock was freedom, Joe. Mm, yes and no. Fascism is communists' way of doing Plymouth Rock. By giving you the ability to have your own piece of land that you can grow, so long as you do it the way I tell you to do it, 
I can provide for a better economy because I'll get more production out of you, but I retain right to control over you. So we don't have that in this country, Joe. Oh, really? Stop paying your, your property taxes and see how long you get to keep your land. <laughs> Told you it was fascist. You can have your land as long as you do what we tell you to do. It just happens to be in most cases, all we want you to do is pay us. But then we take that money and we use it to affect our political agenda over top of you, no matter how you vote. It's all about control. It is all about control. It's always been about control. Glenn Beck had that for a while. For I haven't listened to Glenn in over two years now, so he might still be on it. I don't know. But I know for a while there, he even had a book series about control. This is all about control. If you seek to control, to actively control, or to get somebody else to control your neighbor, you're of this spirit of fascism. You're of this spirit of control. That's not freedom. That's not liberty. It might be for you, but that's not liberty for your neighbor. And if your neighbor is not free, then neither are you. Not really, because it's just a matter of time until they come to get you. We've got to understand that. I think Thomas Paine told you, you know, if you're going to be free, you got to be, you know, to paraphrase him, you got to be ready to defend to the death your, your neighbor's rights. We won't do that anymore because that requires that we put somebody else before ourselves, somebody we may not like. Duty and responsibility again. Comment on the board from John Quest. Well, if enough of us stopped at the same time united, yes, but we won't, John. Because, well, if I do it and he doesn't, then it's nothing going on. It's not going to happen. So I just wasted my time. There you go. You put yourself before the idea or the agenda. I can't. If I quit voting for the Republicans, then the Democrats are going to win. Well, we congratulations. Don't, we don't have enough of those one guys in that picture to do yeah. it. We don't have enough of the guys who refuse to salute. You want to know why we don't have enough of them? It's going to be the second hour. It's a sign of the social decay. There's something critical to a free society that is missing in our society today. It's gone. It's been destroyed. It, it deals with things like integrity, character. But where do they come from? Uh, John Quest asked me, is that not defeatism? No. That's fire's hot, water's wet. Doesn't mean that I don't do what I'm supposed to do when and where I can, because I do. Trust me, man, it catches me a lots of flack. You know, you, John, you've heard Steve yell at me before. Steve Nichols on the other show on the radio show and the other broadcast on freedom networks. He's had harsh words for me because I, I can't vote for either party. And he'll argue he, his reasoning is if, if I do that, then I elect whoever ends up winning. No, I didn't elect them. I didn't. It's like that argument. There's a train coming and you're at the switch and you can make the train go to one of two different tracks on one track. There's five people tied to the track on the other. There's one. So if you don't flip the switch and kill one person, you're going to allow five to die. I didn't tie him to the track. I didn't bring the train down the track. If I flip the switch, I kill that person. Now I'm a murderer because that person's innocent. All six people are innocent. 
if I allow the five to die, morally, I did not kill them. Morally, if somebody else wins an election that I didn't vote for either candidate, Republican or Democrat, I didn't elect whoever wins because I did not vote for them. This requires a very philosophical understanding to look at it this way. You're responsible for what? Your actions. So inaction is not what you're going to be judged on. Not, not entirely. It, it does enter the equation. Don't get me wrong. There are times where inact, you know, not to choose is to choose. I get that. And the only thing that's necessary for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. Well, in the case of the train coming down the track, that was events set in motion way before your time where if you do nothing, you know, this is something you're going to have to live with. But once you flip that switch, you have actively moved the train to kill that one person. You chose that person over the other five. Who are you to choose? But now if it's a case of you see somebody tying the five to the railroad track, he's got the one person tied down already and he's busy or he's got five down and one or whatever, you see him in the process of doing it and you don't act to stop him. Now that's where you're responsible because you made a choice. You made a choice that has a moral outcome. You didn't make a choice when it comes to, if you let the train hit the five, you didn't make a choice to set up that situation. But if you saw somebody setting it up so someone has to die and you didn't stop them before it was in place, that was a choice. I know it seems like I'm splitting hairs, but I'm looking at things from a very natural law, natural rights, philosophical perspective. And you've got to be able to get your emotions out of that. And you've got to be able to look at the central theme and the idea of choice. It's like if I choose not to worship God, I made a choice. I made a choice in something that I could have done something before the eventual alpha, alpha, uh, outcome or effect, in this case, judgment day. But if I'm born into a world where I do not know the one true creator and I've been taught nothing but a pagan God and you know nothing else, that's a different that's a tougher situation right there. That's a tougher, tougher call because you don't have any, any other knowledge nothing else to, you got no other base. I don't know how Yahweh is going to handle that. I know what his word tells me. It says that I still have the universe to tell me how things are, but I might think that the universe is the work of that pagan God. I don't know. I also know Yahweh says where there is no law, there's no condemnation. But in the case of our, you know, you got two train tracks, one person, five people. I can flip a switch and decide who gets hit. And when I flip that switch, I've made a choice. I've killed somebody now. I've actively killed somebody, an innocent person. But if I've got five people tied to the track already and the bad guy's tying the one last down to, to make the situation where someone has to choose, I can stop that act. I can stop it. If I don't, I have chosen to set up a situation where somebody's got to die. That's when inaction actually comes into play as a moral agent, agency, moral action. When you could have prevented something before it was in place. Come on on the board for Marianne. Exactly. I didn't vote for him. I want an option. I can mark that I didn't vote for either option. Well, you can either write that in or you can vote for somebody else. Or you can undervote. That's still a vote. <laughs> 
yeah, you can just not vote. All right, folks, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the collapse of America. Yeah, more happy, happy, joy, joy. The rise of fascism is due to this second hour. The moral decay of this country is what has allowed fascism to rise. We'll see you in six minutes.
That break music always reminds me of Disney. I want to go fight the evil Emperor Zorg or whatever on Buzz Lightyear show. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> Sorry, I always usually end up as a cosmic hero or a galactic hero or whatever on that one because I max out the... My wife hates me for that. Something about being able to shoot. I think it comes in the blood of a Marine. Anyway, back to the show. The Collapse of America. Oh, happy, happy, joy, joy. This is just going to be a rosy and fun conversation, isn't it? That's a picture of the Bronx. Yeah, Joe, well, every major city has these places. Yeah, that's called decay. Why don't you re reclaim that area, man? It's New York City, right? It's the Bronx. Why haven't why hasn't that been reclaimed? I thought that all land and property in the Bronx, in New York City was valuable. That's Detroit. Yeah, I, I could have picked you other pictures, but that's Detroit. That's actually part of what used to be the bustling part of downtown Detroit. That's Pennsylvania, Philadelphia area. Used to be an industrial area. Not so much anymore. That, that's Chicago. Old business district. That's been closed down. Why hasn't that been renovated and reclaimed? Tear it down, build something new up, right? No, that, that's in Chicago. And that's Atlanta. I think that's Atlanta. Atlanta or Philadelphia. I don't remember. It's one of the two. Of the 22 civilizations that have appeared in history, 19 of them collapsed when they reached the moral state of the, of the United States is in right now, moral decay. Arnold Joseph Toynbee. How systems collapse. Folks, you've seen this. You don't may not understand how to read this graph here. Let me try to walk you through this just a little bit. I'll blow it up a little bit so that it make it easier to see. So on the left here, we have our economy smoothly running along, right? This would be back under Reagan, I guess. But this is the pattern. What happens is you have a stable system with a buffer of 100%. It's the visible system. That's the top left line. Then apparent uh, apparent stability is purchased at the cost of a thinning buffer. In other words, things start to collapse. And that's the staircase down. You know, three steps down, you see this long stretch of red line in the middle, and then two steps back up. And it appears you have stability again. That right there is printing. That is artificially manipulating interest rates. That's printing money. That's borrowing money. Now, the crisis and destabilization draws down the buffer to about 50%. You have to draw down your buffer to restore you know, stability. And it appears that the apparent recovery drains your buffer down to about 1%. You keep draining it. You keep draining it. But it appears you have stability again. But your economy never came all the way back. You know, It only declined about 10%, 90% of what it was. What happens is you keep doing this over a period of time and eventually you're going to have a collapse and there'll be no buffer left. We're there. We've been there more than once in history. You've seen this pattern before. You just don't recognize it. I'll show you in a minute. This is from a limited bit of, of studying I have done on economics, but I've, I've studied economics enough to understand and history enough. Most of my economists don't connect this either. I'll show you in a minute. But this here is a chart. This comes from the study on Harvard. I think it's Harvard or one of the Ivy League schools has predicted the collapse of, a, of society here in, by 2040. We've covered that on this show before. 
And this comes from that study. And what they claim is we have pollution going out of control. Well, not so much in the United States. Pollution's actually going down in the United States because of all the laws we pass. Shows you that resources are going down. That's actually an assumption that's not true either. Trump proved to you we got all the oil and energy we need. But what is happening is food is going down. That's intentional. That's something that they control. And the population is going down. That's something that they can control too. But food and population have always been linked to each other. If you have too much population and not enough food, you have famine in the, until the population comes down to a certain point where they match each other. So what we're looking at here is a global collapse of, and this will be global. This will be global because they're trying to do the same basic ideas all across the globe. This is why China is complaining. Well, why are you trying to force this on us? It doesn't work for our country. Then why are you doing it, China? Because they're putting forces on China that makes, they're, it's, they're putting China between the choice of two devils. You either do the green policy or we're going to hurt you in other ways that actually do affect you. Folks, what you're looking at here is how you end up pushing yourselves into a war. And they do this on purpose. War allows them the crisis they need to redraw lines across all, all boundaries, across national lines, across economic lines, against political alignments. A war allows the ruling elites all sorts of, you know, from the destruction, I will walk through the destruction of a creator. I'll walk through the ruins of the chaos that I've created as a creator and remake the world. This is from Wikipedia, the aftermath of World War I. The aftermath of World War I saw cultural, economic, and social change across Eurasia and Africa, and even in areas outside of that were directly involved. The United States, World War I stood the United States up as a global superpower. Four empires collapsed due to the war. Old countries were abolished. New ones were formed. Boundaries were redrawn. International organizations were established. And many new and old ideologies took firm hold in the people's minds. Stop right there. Israel, the Belfort Agreement was in um, 1917, if I remember right. That's going to set up the new nation of Israel. But this is also after um, 1924 and in that area, we redrew the lines of the entire Middle East. The battle we're fighting today was as a result of these idiots that redrew those lines arbitrarily in World War I. And they weren't idiots per se. They knew what they were doing. They re We've already covered this on a previous show. They redrew those lines on purpose to keep the people within those countries fighting each other. Not necessarily fighting other countries, but that they put the whole purpose there to keep people fighting each other. Why? So that the Ottoman Empire didn't reform and become a threat to them, to the ruling elite. And in this case, you're ruling elite. Just think Fabian socialists. That's pretty much who we're dealing with here. And World War I also had the effect of bringing political transformation to most of the principal parties involved in the conflict, transforming them into electoral democracies, which is socialism, by bringing near universal suffrage for the first time in history, as in Germany, 1919 German federal elections. Great Britain, 1918, United Kingdom general election, and Turkey, 1923, Turkish general election. Why do they want democracy? It's socialism. I need as many people voting as possible because the more votes I have, the easier it is to mess with it. Remember, I don't care who you vote for. 
as long as I get to count the votes. Well, you have the same things being done today. You're redrawing the global map. Whether or not this graphic here makes any sense is irrelevant. The reason I chose it is because it's confusing. It's confusing to you and I. But if you're one of the people who are trying in Davos, you know, the World Economic Forum, who think you're going to redraw the world, this probably makes perfect sense to them. Why? Because it's not all that far removed from this. The New World Order map. You're going to have the North American Union. You're going to have the European Union, which is active already. You're going to have the Asian Union. And you're going to have the African Union. Well, that's only one union more than the book 1984, where you have three major world nations going at each other. Two of us are fighting one today, and then we'll be allied with that one, fighting the other one tomorrow, our former allies, and we're always in a round-robin war. Remember, fascists always need a war. Why do I accept this? I, 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 have, I don't know that this for sure is what the New World Order and the Davos people are trying to do. I don't know that for sure at all. But I suspect it is. It's close to the truth. Why? Because I know that is real. Those are the two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Well, there's 10 of them, but there's 10 economic regions in the world. And this is done by the UN. And this has been done for a long time. This this was finalized in, um, oh gosh, what was it? 20, 2009 or somewhere in there. I know this is a fact. And this is why a lot of people who are working with the book of revelations keep thinking that this, the, the, the economic regions are the 10 horns, you know, 10 leaders without a nation. I don't know. I don't know about any of that. All I know is this, this is the UN agenda and it's been established. It's done. So that makes sense because these people all tend to think alike. So I could see them doing this, especially since, and this is not all that far removed from the plan in 1984 and the people behind Davos and, you know, the Fabians and all that's 1984. The book Orwell came out of the Fabian movement. What I know is that that picture there is a depiction of the redrawing of social, economic, religious, national boundaries and lines. That is the remaking of the world, the new world order. That's build back better. That's whatever you want to call it. I don't care what you want to call it. War, never let a good crisis go to waste. War destroys. It leaves chaos and ruins in its wake. And from that, you can go through and remake everything closer to your heart's desire. And how much more can I heat up the globe than to cause a global war? We are in one. No, we're not, Joe. We're not running around bombing everybody. Oh, you are definitely in a hot war. It's just not being fought the way the last one was. You know, World War II wasn't fought the way World War I was fought. World War I was not fought the way Battle of uh, Waterloo was fought. The future war is never fought the way the last one was fought. Never happens that way. You'd think at some point or in time, human beings would learn this. But no. They keep getting stupid about, well, we're not going to need that anymore. Technology, you know, it's like the airplane. I'm not going to need a gun. Missiles are going to do everything. And Vietnam comes along, proves out guns are superior to missiles. 
So, oh my God, we got to put guns back on airplanes. Just like, we're not going to need to know how to dog fight because missiles are going to take care of everything. And that didn't work. They keep doing this. They keep doing this all the time. You know, we're not going to need tanks. The age of tanks is over. You know, the, the Ukrainian war is proving that. No, it hasn't. This is because you're not looking at things the way your opponent's going to look at them. And that's because of hubris, arrogance, pride. One of those big human failings. You never take into account the other people. That's because you're a God. You can't possibly be wrong. Everything you say you're going to do, you're going to do. And it's just going to happen because you spoke it into existence because you're a God by gosh. You know, it's like Loki telling the Hulk, you won't treat me that way or talk to me that way. You brute. I'm a God. Bam, 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 bam. Puny God ran into somebody who didn't think the way you did. Didn't you Loki? That's what happens to us. Even to the ruling elite who think they know everything. Now, where do I get these ideas that they rearrange the globe on purpose? Because I've read those. You know, that's the New World Order by H.G. Wells, Fabian, written in the 1920s. And then the road we're traveling, Stuart Chase. When the war ends, he's talking about World War I, World War II. When we redesign the world. Well, Joe, that's just two guys. That, oops. Yeah, tragedy and hope. The history of the world in our time. Carol Quigley, he's a historian. He's literally telling us that that's exactly what happened. World War One and World War Two were intentionally organized so that the elites could reorganize the world. Now, they wouldn't possibly do that with the New World Order. We didn't have World War Three. We had COVID. Well, that was COVID, Joe. That was its same effect. It was the same effect in a different guise. It shuts down the world, scares people to death. I don't ever want that to happen again. Great. Then you need my Davos solutions. And if you don't, we'll roll out the next COVID program. Remember the email that was leaked out of the royal family government? When do we roll out the next COVID scare? People are leaking these things to us. We just don't pay attention. Either that or we don't see them. This is all pandemic. There's even a book called Plandemic. Why do I believe that that's exactly what it was? Because it fits the patterns of history. Well, Joe, that's over many different generations. Yes, I know, but you've got to remember, I don't think that it's human beings entirely in charge of this history. His story. This is Satan's hand in the background. He's, he's the one who's got his hands up the human sock puppet's backsides. And if you look at it that way, Occam comes strutting to the front of the room going, I got this. And the way I look at the world suddenly comes to the forefront, which is why I grab onto it and hold onto it because it explains everything with the least amount of mental gymnastics. So if you've got all these people within your government forcing these things down your throat, let's whip out one of Jimmy Zinker's favorite buddies here, Marcus Tilius Cicero. Roman senator. He's only watching Rome disintegrate. He was killed because he tried to stop it. Why? Because he pointed to him and said, the emperor has no clothes. He told his version of Herod, it's illegal for you to be married to that woman. He had the audacity of pointing out that the Roman Senate was corrupt. What did he have to say about all this? 
He said, a nation can survive its fools and even the ambitious, but it cannot survive treason from within. <coughs> okay. An enemy at the gates is less formidable for he is known and carries his banner openly, but the traitor moves amongst those within the gates freely. His sly whispers rustling through all of the alleys heard in the very halls of government itself for the traitor appears not a traitor. He speaks in accents familiar to his victims, you know, speaking to religious, just like a fascist. And he wears their face and their arguments. And he appeals to their baseness that lies deep in the hearts of all men, the rots and souls of a nation. He works secretly and unknown in the night to undermine the pillars of the city. He infects the body politic so that it can no longer resist. A murderer is less to fear. The traitor is the plague. We are five days away from fundamentally transforming the United States of America. MAGA, 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 make America great again. How are those two men different? I really want to know. Well, MAGA's different than Obama. Yeah, it's not a fascist when you do it. Hmm. Project's a mother. America is like a healthy bot. Oh, we got a comment on the board here from Sailor Sun. I've tried to warn people, but they refuse to listen and throw that's your truth at me. One day I may get to throw, I told you so, back at them. Yeah, you got the wrong heart there, brother. A little more scripture time. Much was forgiven of you. You need to forgive much of them. I understand where you're at, though. Struggled with that for years. Find a little more peace, brother. It'll help you. That's done for you, not for them. Stalin, America is like a healthy body and its resistance is threefold. It's patriotism, which the left hates. It's morality and it's spiritual life. Remember what Adams told us? We read it just yesterday. Spiritual life and religion and morality are all intertwined. So if we can undermine these three areas, America will collapse from within. Oh, we're just going to blow this one up. Victorian morality, also known as Christian, Judeo-Christian ethic, the needs of society must be balanced with personal interests. That's the classic liberal ethos. That's the difference between the United States Constitution and the Articles of Confederation. Articles of Confederation was state interest only. Constitution was state balanced with government, federal government balanced with the individual. But along comes 1916, and Margaret Sanger opens the first abortion clinic in the United States in 1916. Industrialization destroys small family farming along with three-generation family model. In other words, we've gotten away from the agrarian society that's supposed to be connected to natural rights and natural law. And we start getting into the cities where Jefferson told us that once we start doing that, we'll lose our liberty. And he knew that because he knew that it would lose our morality. So the jazz era arises in the 1930s. Actually, it started in the 1920s. There was a roaring 20s because of Coolidge. The jazz age, rise of flappers, and the lost generation, loss of Victorian morality. And what happens? Automated manufacturing of condoms facilitates sexual promiscuity in the 40s. It was done because of the troopers overseas, but yes, this, this did help. Mass production of penicillin reduced the health costs of sexual immorality. In other words, if you get rid of the death penalty, murder rises. Gee, imagine that. If you get rid of the penalty, 
you get more of the of the action. In the 1960s, the pill has been helping to avoid consequences of sexual immorality. In other words, I don't have to worry about getting pregnant, so I can do even more. It says a sexual revolution leads to wide acceptance of sexual promiscuity in the 70s. Legalizing murder of unborn humans in the 1973 helped to decease, uh, decrease the cost of sexual immorality even more. In 1980s, sex, drugs, and rock and roll era glorifies drugs use and sexual promiscuity. The me, me, me generation comes to effect in the 2000s. Then we have this child-free generation, the spread of hedonism and anti-naturalism uh, or natalism, natalism, anti-parenting. And all of a sudden, the needs of society are not as important as the personal pleasures. And yet the progressives push the society over the individual. What all that does is nihilism. It sets everything against itself. It also interrupts the human procreation stage. It leads to human extinction eventually. We've covered this, the declining birth rate. It also has a little push, a little help from what they're doing to the food and genetics. Here's another meme that says basically the same thing, moral decay. Rejection of old moral values. Birth control removes barriers for sexual immorality. You have the sexual revolution. That's Woodstock, by the way. Sexual immorality becomes a norm, which is part of the LGBT community. Denial of procreation duties becomes a norm, the child-free life. And in Europe, you have loss of old cultural identity due to immigration. They're now becoming Muslim. And they depopulate society through many different various means. You'll end up with this thing over here on the right, replace them in a democracy with totalitarian state that enforces pregnancies. This is where we're at, where we're heading. How'd we get there? Well, the sin of Balaam. Well, yeah. But it's not that this man would know anything. This is Einstein's quote. And the rest of the world has slowly grown accustomed to these symptoms of moral decay. One misses the elementary reaction against injustice for justice. That reaction, which in the long run represents man's only protection against a relapse into barbarism. I am firmly convinced that the passionate will for justice and truth has done more to improve man's condition than calculating political shrewdness, which in the long run only breeds general distrust. Who can doubt that Moses was a better leader of humanity than Machiavelli? Remember, we just talked about Machiavelli here not too long ago, folks. Feels good, do it. If it works, do it. Ends justifies the means, do it. Machiavelli. Moses. Oh my God, there's that law and that rule that I can't run around and hook up with whoever I want and I can't murder and I can't rape and I can't pillage and plunder and steal and lie. And oh my gosh, I can't have any of that. Your morality is not my morality. And, and as in the days of Noah. And what's Einstein saying? No wonder your society is collapsing. You don't even realize what maintained it. The theory of social entropy, otherwise known as social decay. We've had this class before. It's time to redo it. Social entropy. Well, what is entropy itself? Entropy is a scientific concept as well as a measurable physical property that is most commonly associated with a state of disorder, randomness, and uncertainty. The term and the concept are used in diverse fields from classical thermodynamics, where it first was first recognized, to microscopic descriptions of nature in statistical physics into the principles of information theory. Let me put this in a succinct tabletop manner. Entropy means all things tend to decay. 
they go from order to disorder. Kind of says, and that's a natural law. Kind of says that you know what evolution is? Evolution is disorder to order. Now, show me one natural law that has another natural law working in direct opposite of it. We'll say, Joe, the weak and, neg- and, and strong uh, electrical repelling forces. Oh, no, 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 no. Those both work by magnetism. That's the same law governing both of those forces. So show me a natural law that says I can get matter from something and then I can get matter from nothing. Natural law never works opposite of itself. Not really. So how do I get evolution when the governing law of this universe is entropy, that all things decay? You know what they've found in genetics? The genetic code of humanity is degrading, decaying. We are not as genetically robust as our ancestors were. Gee, I wonder why. I wonder how. I wonder what the implications are for a whole lot of the things that we assume to be true. True science. Open your eyes to a lot of things. So entropy. All things tend to decay. Social entropy. Social entropy is a sociological theory that evaluates social behaviors using a method based on the second law of thermodynamics. The equivalent of entropy in a social system is considered to be the wealth of a residence location. Okay. This theory was introduced by Kenneth D. Bailey in 1990. He is a socialist. He sees everything in material terms. I disagree with him, and I'm going to show you where all that comes up in a little bit, but I'm going to just briefly, this is a real theory. I found out about it. You know, I was going to sociology school in 1993, 94. So this is brand new at my, when I was going to school and I like this theory. I'm sympathetic to it. So Kenneth D. Bailey, he's born in 1943. He's an American sociologist, a systems scientist, and a professor of sociology at the university of California in Los Angeles. Bailey studied at, at the university of Texas at Austin. He got, um, he got there a, a BS in mathematics in 1963 and an MA in sociology in 66 and a PhD in sociology in 68. Last four years, he got an NDEA fellowship summer 1967. He participated in a workshop in mathematical sociology at the Johns Hopkins University. So well-educated. Social entropy theory. One of the main focuses of Bailey's was the development of macro sociological system theory, a, an overall arching theory which he named social entropy theory. In this concept of social entropy stood for a measure of the natural decay of the structure or of the disappearance or distinction within a social system. Natural decay of society, social decay. Social entropy is all about social decay. That's why I like this theory. Now, I have a slightly different take on Dr. Kenneth D. Bailey's theory. Having an engineering background myself, I see his theory as useful bridge between the laws of physics and the laws which govern human nature, specifically those laws which apply to human society. In short, I see social entropy as the glue or energy which holds a society or structure together. In other words, it's a measure of the glue. How strong is that glue? As this energy decreases, the glue weakens and the society subculture starts to decay. This is not at all different from Dr. Bailey's theory. Where I differ is that I do not see socioeconomic status, i.e. wealth or environment, the location, 
as the primary source of this energy, the glue that binds the social system. He thinks the more money you have, the tighter your society. I disagree. In my opinion, the energy or the glue that binds a society is found in its culture and ultimately its moral beliefs. Founding fathers of this country would believe would agree with me here. The more highly defined, and so did um, so did Einstein, the more highly defined and rigidly maintained the sense of morality, the more order and the less entropy. In other words, the stronger the glue will be in that society. As a result, that society will be stronger. The less moral a society becomes, the less entropy, the less order. Well, the more entropy there is, but the less order there is, the weaker the glue. And therefore, the more disorder and the weaker the society becomes. In short, the more moral a society is, the lower the entropy, the lower the, the disorder will be. And therefore, the stronger that society will be. The less moral a society is, the higher its entropy, its disorder will be. And as a result, the weaker that society will become, even shorter. High morality, less entropy, stronger society. Low morality, more entropy, weaker society. In general terms, social entropy looks like this. You have high order, strong glue, very low disorder, low, low entropy on the left. As entropy increases on the right, you get weak glue, more disorder. That's one way of looking at this. This is another. Little entropy on the left. Everything's nice and orderly. This is the Japanese culture on the left. The one on the right, that's total chaos, man. That's the Arabs. Nothing mixes. One hand against the other forever and ever. Amen. Culturally. I'm talking culturally, not, not skin tone. I'm talking culture. This is also how it can look. Low entropy. And here's where some people start thinking they found a problem with my theory. And I have run into this in the past. Low entropy looks an awful lot like segregation to our eyes, which would cause a casual look to conclude low entropy is bad for society, you know, mean racism. But this conclusion takes the eye off the issue at hand, the strong society. Social entropy is neutral in terms of race, wealth, or location. It doesn't care about that. Not as I see it, not as I understand it. It is the bias in our own eyes that causes us to perceive inequality in the previous picture. Inequality according to skin color, inequality according to money. That didn't used to be a problem in major parts of this country because we shared a common culture, common ideology, common ethos, mores. When a society has a well-developed sense of morality, it is less likely to be divided along ethnic, socioeconomic, or other lines of social status. The less divided society is, the stronger it is. However, when a society starts to embrace a you have your morality and I have mine type of thinking, that society will start to divide along an even ever-expanding number of social classes. When this happens, a society weakens. If this process goes on too long or is allowed to go too far, then a society will eventually collapse or dissolve, in which case it ceases to be a society at all. If this happens, you are left with a balkanized collection of micro-societies or subcultures which will find themselves in a constant state of war with each other. This invites tyranny. Balkanization, do you remember us talking about that here in recent classes? It creates a state of constant strife with the people within your community, which invites tyranny. Or 
It invites somebody to come in and reorder the world politically, socially, borders, religions, exactly like they did in world, after World War I and after World War II, exactly like the New World Order is doing after COVID, exactly like whoever's running this country is doing after COVID. So if I want to intentionally re-engineer society, I need a crisis, a major one. I have to increase entropy. And so we have. This is why the following are important to a healthy society in no particular interest, a common set of traditions. We don't have that in this country anymore. We even celebrate Cinco de Mayo and May Day and all sorts of other countries. We don't just, just, just the fourth, no, 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 we, we, no common traditions. A common ethos or set of mores, you know, a common ideal, common set of morals. We don't have that. A common language, we don't have that. A common economy, we don't have a common economy in this country anymore. We don't have a common religion. We don't have a common culture as a result of all of this. We don't have a common history or understanding of our history. We don't have common stories. We don't have a common law. You take these things away, social entropy increases. We don't have these anymore. When I went to elementary school, every Friday, I think it was, we used to have an assembly in the gym. And we'd get there and we'd sing songs. We sing the same songs over and over again. Why? It created, at least in that community, a common, common bonds, common ideas, common songs, common themes. It created a common culture. It was intentional. Now, this is not eugenics. This is not the redirection of human nature. This is just social engineering on a scale that's meant to support the society you're in. That's one of the duties of every citizen. If you embrace or accept the benefits of the society you're in, you have a duty to support and maintain it. We don't do that in this country anymore. We have people who have control of the apparatus by which a society is directed and, and maintained. They have control of that apparatus. And what are they doing instead? They're using that apparatus to destroy us. So when a society has decayed to the point where it is no longer a single society, but a collection of micro societies and subcultures, chaos will reign. All of these little groups will be in a constant state of war with each other. There can be no peace, no security, no commerce, no rule of law. The bulk of humanity craves the comfort of a security due to, you know, security over uncertain liberty. Therefore, the majority of the people will eventually grow weary of their fear and fighting and will start to demand an end to the constant fighting. At this point, they will accept any ruler who promises to bring order and stability back to society, and they will accept that promise even if they know it is a lie. The sad truth of the matter is this. It is a point of human nature that a majority of men will knowingly embrace a false promise of security than face the uncertain weariness of fighting to maintain their liberty. Peace and safety. Yeah, where did we see that? that? That's something we just recently saw too, wasn't it? Yeah, somewhere. Destroys things, doesn't it? Yeah, sudden destruction. Yeah, in the name of peace. These principles that we've just discussed are all reflected in the following quotes. Adolf Hitler says, In relation to the political decontamination of our public life, in other words, we need to put order back into this disorder, the government will embark upon a systematic campaign to restore the nation's moral and material health. The whole education system, theater, 
film, literature, the press, and broadcasting, all these will be used as a means to this end. Well, they're supposed to be being used as a means to that end voluntarily. He did it by force, control, free will. There's the key when you do things willingly. Well, that's communism, Joe. No, no, no. That's Acts chapter 2. Well, Acts chapter 2 is communism, Joe. No, 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 it isn't. Because there's no equality of outcome in any of this. But Hitler had the right idea. He's a good progressive. Right idea, wrong solution. Remember, I've told you that before. Of Vladimir Lenin, destroy the family, you destroy the country. See, that's about social decay. And then Joseph Stalin, America is like a healthy body, and its resistance is threefold. It's patriotism, it's morality, and it's spiritual life. If we can undermine these three areas, America will collapse from within, and so we are. We've had communists attacking this country from within forever. Remember the McCarthy show? God, Charlie, all of these shows the last few weeks are starting to call just coalesce together. In relation to the political decontamination of the public life, let's go back to this quote. The government will embark upon a systematic campaign to restore the nation's moral and material health. Set aside the historical significance of the man that's talking here and focus on what he's trying to do when he said these words. He was trying to build up a society, a cohesive society, to make it stronger. And what does he say is the focal point of his efforts? the moral fiber of Germany, morality. Yes, he mentions wealth, you know, the material health. He mentions that too. But he listed morality first. And the individual means he listed by which he intended to achieve his goals are all aimed at shaping and controlling public opinion. These are organs of moral teaching and support. It's not the organs of creation of wealth. I've often told you progressives have the right complaints wrong solutions the accuser knows what's right and wrong he's just got the wrong solution to the problem destroy the family and you destroy the country stalin america's a healthy body etc etc in contrast to hitler these two men were looking to destroy and in both cases they focused their efforts on targets connected to morality hitler was trying to build up germany stalin and lenin wanted to destroy america in America, the family is part and parcel to our national sense of morality. So it our so is our patriotism. And in this country, our sense of morality, at least at the time when these quotes were uttered, was inextricably linked to our spiritual life. Therefore, it can be seen that Lenin, Hitler, and Stalin all knew that morality was the glue that binds a society. Religion as well. One last thing before I leave this subject. Moral depravity. The history of the atheist community and various studies regarding the atheist community point to moral depravity being a causal form or a causal factor for atheism. In addition, there is the historical matter of deceit being used in a major way to propagate atheism from the time of Charles Darwin onward. Also, Bible exegesis points to the moral depravity of atheists. Moral depravity is certainly one of the prime causes of atheism. How do you get to moral depravity? Loss of morality. How do you get to more loss of morality? Loss of religion. So as you stray from God, you drift into moral depravity, which is exactly what the Bible says will happen. And that leads to atheism, to a generation that does not know God. The atheist 
knows there's a God. He just rejects him. Says, no, he doesn't exist. It doesn't mean he's not aware of. Not that type of knowing. It means he doesn't obey. He will not obey the sovereign creator. That's what it means by a generation arose that did not know God. Does not obey. When you do not obey, don't expect the king to bless your efforts. You're not part of the kingdom anymore. If you're not part of the kingdom, you're an enemy. Hmm. Not a very good thing to be an enemy of a living God, living Elohim. Logic first, folks. Atheists often use the existence of evil and moral depravity as quote-unquote proof that there cannot be a good and loving creator. The notion that depravity disproves God is fallacious reasoning. I'd like to point out that the majority of atheists have rejected the idea of morality. Thus, by claiming that depravity proves there is no God, they acknowledge him. This is because if there is no God, then there can be no such thing as morality, making an attack on depravity an oxymoron. It's a self-defeating argument. By pointing to depravity, which implies you know a behavior is immoral, as proof that there is no creator, you acknowledge something that cannot exist unless there is a creator. If you acknowledge that something does, in fact, exist, then you are also acknowledging the creator, whether you admit it or not. Thus, the atheist makes a self-defeating claim. Not that that matters to anybody. And now a little history. There is no God. When communists deny God, they're not, they're not saying there is no God, they're making a quote from the communists. When communists deny God, they simultaneously deny every virtue and every value which originates with God. There are no moral absolutes, no right and wrong. The Ten Commandments and the Sermon on the Mount are invalid. Congressional Report, The Communist Mind, HCUA, 85th Congress, May 29, 1957. Back to McCarthy. We do not believe in eternal morality. Our morality is entirely subordinate to the interest of the class struggle, Vladimir Lenin. Our morality is entirely subordinate to the interest of the party, any democratic leader today. Because they're communists, they're atheists. They will talk as though they're religious. That makes them fascists. Oh, geez, that fascist communist thing is just getting all blurred together again, Joe. Straighten it out for me. You can't. They are the same bird. One just has a bigger appetite than the other. Two heads on that bird. One wants the whole world. The other is happy to keep just their country. If you follow the divine council worldview, the fascist is the individual lesser Elohim that's happy to rule over the nation it was given. The communist is Satan himself who wants the whole entire world. And in that line of thinking, you still have two unclean spirits that both want the same thing. One's just happy to be confined to the nation that Yahweh gave him authority over. The other one wants the whole flicking enchilada. Otherwise, no difference. Occam's lovely when you look at it that way. Concept, concept, concept. Man is simply matter in motion. As such, he is without a soul, spirit, or free will, and is not responsible for his actions. Congressional Report, The Communist Mind, HCUA, 85th Congress, May 29, 1957. This is what the communist thinks. Man is simply matter in motion. Your atheist falls into communism real quick, or statism, or secular humanism of some form. So for the atheist, anything goes. 
so long as it achieves the stated goal. Machiavelli. What did Einstein say about that? Doesn't work very well, does it? For the pagan, if it feels good, do it. Hedonistic. For the apostate, only what I say goes. I speak for God on earth. Hello, Muhammad. Hello, Joseph Smith. As a result, in depravity, all result in depravity and increased social entropy, all result in social decay. So let me ask you a question. You see the board? How's your spiritual warfare going lately? Jeez, that thing keeps coming up a lot here, Charlie. Y'all starting to understand why I have to see the world the way I do? I don't have a choice. If I seek capital T truth, I keep coming back to the same ball field. I keep coming back to the bench right behind the catcher. I'm sitting smack behind him, just a little higher than the umpire. I can almost start calling the balls and strikes on this. Every time I do the math, I keep coming back to the same seat over and over and over again. Even when I look for an explanation that goes in a different direction, I come back to the same place over and over and over again. It's a simple, easy way of looking at things. It explains everything I've found so far. When I find an answer that is easy, simple, coherent, consistent, logically tight, internally coherent, and keeps coming, it's even predictable. It lets me predict things. It lets me say, yeah, I bet you there's something to this. And when I dig into it, yep, I find it. The biblical perspective, here's a case in, case in point. <laughs> You're going to love this one. I found a TikTok video last night. A guy says, hey, look, man, I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it, but look at this red and blue thing. He says, the police, you got red and blue lights. He says, Republicans and, and conservatives, red and blue. Um, in, in the early Star Wars movies, there was the Darth Vader had a red um, lightsaber, you know, evil, and Luke had blue. Red and blue, red and blue, red and blue, juxtapositions everywhere we look. Hunger Games, red and blue. All these, all these places, red and blue. Blue is always associated with, quote unquote, the good guys. Red is usually associated with, quote unquote, the bad guys. He says, I don't understand. I don't get it. He goes, but I know there's something there because he had a whole list of things that this worked with and it was consistent. Well, if you've got the biblical worldview, this one's easy peasy, baby. Blue is the symbol of heaven. Red is the symbol of sin. Law, lawlessness. Poof. See what I mean? Predictable. Mm. It's liberty. When I understand the 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 Torah, the teachings of the creator of this universe, and I live according to them, my life is easier. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to have my trials and tribulations. It means my life is easier in that I understand it. It's easier to live with. It's easier to cope with. It's easier to, it's easier to accept the things that are unjust and all, because I know how things are going to end up. I know how they turn out. I know, I know what I'm supposed to do, what's expected of me. But you have to come to the realization that you have to fall under that Messiah. You've got to have to accept the boss, man. Okay, this this is the part where I'm not really good at. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not going to tell you, you know, you need Jesus. But you do. You got all the laws of the universe. Each and every one of us have broken them. We all got to go to jail. Somebody's got to come along and give you a get out of jail free card. Well, the scripture teaches us that life is in the blood. And we know this to be true. If you run out of blood, you die, right? Say, well, life is in the breath, Joe. Yeah, that's the Ruach. That's life too. They go hand in hand. Ruach, the spirit. 
So life is in the spirit. The scripture says that too. So you need to, you shed blood to make atonement for blood. So if the cost of you breaking the eternal king's rules is eternal death, somebody has to shed perfect blood to cover your sin. Somebody has to be the redeemer, has to pay the penalty for you. That's what it means to make propitiation for sin. That's what the Messiah did. That's what yesterday for the Orthodox Jewish calendar to today for my congregation, that's what Yom Kippur is all about, day of atonement. It means day of coverings in, in the scripture. Yeah, covering with blood. Under the laws of Moses, it was coverings of the sin offering. You covered the Holy of Holies. Also, the people, the temple, the priest, everybody was renewed from the shedding of blood. Under the new covenant, it's the shedded blood of the Messiah. You have to accept that. You have to accept it, make them, make him your master, your boss. Okay, he's, he's the one who gives me the rules now. You got to start following him. This country, once upon a time, did that. You remember? The revolution was affected upon the basic principles, the general principles of Christianity, the ones that all Christians could agree on. John Adams, what the heck does he know about forming a free country, right? He's an idiot. He's just called the Atlas of the Revolution. John Jay says that there's no country that's ever maintained freedom and and rights and individual responsibility, personal liberties without the Judeo-Christian ethic. Just the first chief justice and founding father of this country. He doesn't know jack about any of this either, does he? Well, let's go for an atheist, or so they say, a deist or whatever, right? Jefferson, he said the highest moral order ever known to man was the laws of the Jesus of Nazareth. He says man's likely to never find a higher moral order than that. So if morality is the glue that binds society, well, Jefferson said, well, in, in, the, in that sense, I'm a, I'm a Christian in the only sense that he thinks Jesus cared about, that he accepts and applies those moral teachings to his life and lives accordingly. That, by the Bible, makes him a disciple of the Messiah. I, I don't know. I just know that the Bible says that if you imitate and obey the Messiah, you're a disciple of Messiah. Well, if Jefferson kept his word there and he imitated and followed the teachings of the Messiah, I'm not necessarily going to be surprised to find him in heaven. Although a lot of people who say he was a deist might be surprised. Of course, then again, they don't read their Bible. They don't read the instruction manual. But if this whole country were back to its founding faith, the glue that binds it would be stronger. And if the church were to actually follow the teachings of its supposed Lord, it might be a brighter light that would call more people to it. But the church is too busy congratulating itself on how it's good to go And it's better than all those heathens out there outside of their walls. Hmm. I'll leave you with a final thought before we close for the day. Scriptural thought. 2 Thessalonians 2. It says, until the restrainer is taken away. Hold on, Martin Young on the board. Did Jefferson cut parts out of the Bible? Jefferson did that in more than one Bible. Jefferson had three or four of them. He cut parts out of one where he took out all the miracles of the Bible. He cut another one out where he taught all the moral principles of the Bible and he used it for evangelizing the Indians, you know, the Native Americans. Be careful with that. There's lots of myth around that. Um, you got to read Jefferson himself and then you got to keep his writings in chronological order with his life. So I want to go back to 2 Thessalonians 2. He said, none of these, the, the, this, the falling away, the great apostasy isn't going to happen until the restrainer has been removed. 
Everybody thinks that's the Holy Spirit. I don't think so. Not anymore. Struck me this morning when I was thinking about that. Who's the restrainer? If the Holy Spirit is the restrainer, then that means as soon as the Holy Spirit's removed, nobody can be saved again. That's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that you can be saved up till you die or the final trumpet blows. So the restrainer cannot be the Holy Spirit. That would contradict Scripture. But there is something else we're told about the church. I give to you the keys of heaven and hell. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's restraining. So if the restrainer is removed, you know, the two witnesses, the two different churches are told, come up here. The Holy Spirit's still on earth. There just won't be a whole lot of people left for it to work with because the light of the world will be gone and the moon which is the reflection of the gospel, the reflection of the sun. That's the church. The moon represents the church. The moon will turn to blood, apostasy. Don't look now, boys and girls, but that's exactly the state of the world we're in. And thus the decay of society, at least the Western world. Tomorrow, Worship Wednesday, we will wrap up on our prophecy section. Thursday, I think I'm going to have a little surprise for you. More fallacy Friday. I mean, uh, not fallacy Friday, but um, conspiracy theory Thursday. We're going to deal a little bit more with the theme we've been on, progressives and social decay, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We're going to keep hammering on that this week. And then I'll see if I can't find some way to work it out on Friday and just keep on trucking, man. Because this theme seems to be working for me right now. I hope, I hope and pray it's helping you better understand the macro, the big picture. If it is, please share this show with those friends and family that you think might benefit. Just explain to them how I am. You know, it's a cross between Gregory House and Sheldon. At least that's how I see myself. Um, Also, at the very least... Give us the thumbs up sign if, if, if you feel led to do so. But we do appreciate that. It gives us one of the only forms of feedback we get because not a whole lot of you bother emailing us. And that's okay. But if you have emails, comments, or anything, please talk to us. We're not, we're not going to jump on you. The only people we go after with Augusto is go Dodo Cop. And if you haven't been with us for a long time, early on, we tried to talk to Dodo Cop. The Dodo Cop Brigade, there's a lot of people there behind that movement. It's an organization. But we actually tried to reason with them. We were, we were administering medicine to the dead, Jack. So we love each and every one of y'all. And we hope that you will take care of yourselves. And we'll see you tomorrow. Until then, stay safe.